0: TED Audio Collective.
1: I begin my days with a fully charged phone. After breakfast, I ask my Google Home to put on some focus music while I catch up on emails. And then I'm in and out of Zoom meetings all day. Sounds normal enough, right? Maybe even boring. But if you think about it, Each of these moments is powered by a series of intricate technical interactions that were once pretty much unthinkable. An electrical grid, a wireless internet connection. Yet for me, the process couldn't be more convenient. I am what is called an energy have. Someone who benefits from the luxury of access to cheap energy at all times. But not everyone is so lucky. They are the energy have-nots, who are being kept from living in and benefiting from continuous and consistent power. And they are disproportionately located in the Global South. I'm Sherelle Dorsey, and this is TED Tech. I'm so excited to share this next TED Talk in which energy researcher Rose Mutiso invites us to reconsider energy abundance and rethink climate resilience, specifically, by examining the relationship between energy haves and have-nots.
2: This show is brought to you by Schwab. You're here because you like to keep a pulse on trends in technology. Well, now you can invest in what's trending Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Learn more at schwab.com
1: slash thematic investing. Support for TED Tech comes from Odoo. What is Odoo? Well, Odoo is an all-in-one management software with apps for every business need.
2: Hackers and cyber criminals have always held this kind of special fascination.
3: Obviously, I can't tell you too much about what I do. It's a game. Who's the best hacker? And I was like, well, this is child's play.
2: I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and on the Click Here podcast, you'll meet them and the people trying to stop them.
3: We're not afraid of the attack. We're afraid of the creativity and the intelligence of the human being behind it.
2: Click Here. Stories about the people making and breaking our digital world.
3: AI machines,
2: satellite,
3: engine ignition, click here, and
2: liftoff, click
0: here, every Tuesday and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Think about this. Californians use more electricity playing video games than the entire country of Senegal uses overall. Also, before gyms were shut down due to COVID, New Yorkers could work out in a 10 degree Celsius gym because the cold apparently burns more calories. And yet only 3% of Nigerians have air conditioners. There's a mind-blowing gap between the energy haves and the energy have-nots. And across the globe, we have incredible energy inequality. Billions of people simply lack enough energy to build a better life. Affordable, abundant, and reliable energy to run their businesses without daily blackouts, to preserve their crops from rotting, to power life-saving medical equipment, to work from home and do Zoom calls with their colleagues, to run trains and factories, basically to grow and to prosper and to access both dignity and opportunity. Rich countries have that kind of energy, whereas most countries in Africa and many elsewhere simply don't. And those billions of people are falling farther and farther behind the rest of the world. In addition to taking their energy abundance for granted, the wealthy take something else for granted, that everyone should fight climate change exactly the same way. Tackling climate change will require an accelerated transition to low carbon energy sources. And yet emissions continue to climb year after year, threatening to blow our tight carbon budget. That's what I want to talk about today. The carbon budget is an estimation of the total emissions that our planet's atmosphere can safely absorb. Faced with an imperative to not explode this carbon budget, the world is looking at Africa in a completely contradictory way. On one side, It wants us to grow, to emerge from abject poverty, to build a middle class, to own cars and air conditioners and other modern amenities, because after all, Africa is the next global market. On the other side, because they're anxious to demonstrate action on climate change, rich countries in the West are increasingly restricting their funding to only renewable energy sources, effectively telling Africa and other poor nations to either develop with no carbon or to limit their development ambitions altogether. Africa obviously needs to develop. That's non-negotiable. And I want to make the case today that Africa must be prioritized when it comes to what's left in the carbon budget. In other words, Africa must be allowed to, yes, produce more carbon in the short term so we can grow, while the rich world needs to drastically cut their emissions. Africans have a right to aspire to the same prosperity that everyone else enjoys. And we deserve the same chance at a job, at an education, at dignity and opportunity. We also understand very well that the entire world needs to get to a zero carbon future. This might sound contradictory, but consider these three points. First, Africa isn't the culprit of climate change. It's a victim. Africa and it's more than 1 billion people are among the most vulnerable to climate change on the planet facing the worst impacts of extreme weather, drought, and heat. And yet, if you look at the carbon footprint of the entire African continent, 48 African countries combined are responsible for less than 1% of the cumulative carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Even if every one of the 1 billion people in sub-Saharan Africa tripled their electricity consumption overnight, and if all of that new power came from natural gas-fired plants, We estimate that the additional CO2 that Africa would add would equal to just 1% of total global emissions. Second, Africa needs more energy to fight climate change, not less. Because of its climate vulnerability, Africa's climate fight is about adaptation and resilience. And climate adaptation is energy intensive. To respond to extreme weather, Africans will need more resilient infrastructure. We're talking seawalls, highways, safe buildings, and more. To cope with drought, Africans will need pumped irrigation for their agriculture, and many will need desalination for fresh water. And to survive soaring temperatures, Africans will need coal storage and ACs in hundreds of millions of homes, offices, warehouses, factories, data centers, and the like. These are all energy intensive activities. If we fail at mitigation, the rich country's plan B for climate change is to simply adapt. Africans need and deserve that same capacity for adaptation. Third. Imposing mitigation on the world's poor is widening economic inequality. We're creating energy apartheid. Working in global energy and development, I often hear people say, because of climate, we just can't afford for everyone to live our lifestyles. That viewpoint is worse than patronizing. It's a form of racism, and it's creating a two-tier global energy system with energy abundance for the rich and tiny solar lamps for Africans. The global market for natural gas is a great example of this. Large Western companies are actively developing gas fields in African countries to run industry and generate electricity in Asia or in Europe. And yet, when these same African countries want to build power plants at home to use gas for their own people, the Western development and finance community say, no, we won't fund that. And here's the irony. Many poor countries are already far ahead of the West when it comes to transitioning to a low-carbon energy system. In Kenya, where I'm from, we generate most of our electricity carbon-free. Renewable sources such as geothermal, hydro, and wind provide nearly 80% of our electricity. In the US, that figure is only 17%. So let me repeat my point. Everyone must get to a zero-carbon future. In the transition, Africa and other poor nations deserve to get the balance of what's remaining in the world's carbon budget. For economic competitiveness, for climate adaptation, for global stability, and for economic justice. Rich and high-emitting countries must uphold their responsibility to lead on decarbonization, starting in their own economies. We all have a collective responsibility to turn the tide on climate change. If we fail, it won't be because Senegal or Kenya or Benin or Mali decided to build a handful of natural gas power plants to provide economic opportunity for their people. Thank you.
2: On Working Smarter, hear practical discussions about what AI can do so that you can work smarter too. Listen to Working Smarter on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or visit
1: workingsmarter.ai. Countries like Sweden, Uruguay, Scotland, Germany, and China led the way in renewable energies like solar, wind, and geothermal technologies in 2022. Spending in this space reached $366 billion in 2021 alone, mostly within Asia, and is still climbing towards the $2.1 trillion needed to fully transition the world to complete renewable energy by 2025. But an inclusive climate future must consider how climate adaptive technologies and investment has historically skipped some nations and made them increasingly vulnerable Mutiso points out that this energy apartheid has benefited countries in Europe and Asia while leaving many in Africa behind. Like Mutiso, I question, what is creating this divide? Why have investors been so hesitant to touch certain places? Is it more than energy racism? Considering the scale and growth of local startup environments and investments into regions like West Africa from companies like Meta or Stripe, which purchased Nigerian based Paystack back in 2020, former Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey contemplated a move to the continent of Africa in 2020. He ultimately participated in the investment into cryptocurrency based startup Yellow Card, founded in Nigeria just a year prior to Dorsey's arrival. So talent and investment opportunities exist, and those can only continue to prosper if infrastructure improves to ensure frequent and low carbon access to continuous power. As we think about the niceties of discussing climate change and solutions, Matisse's remarks center on how injustice can continue to spread within these conversations when we're not intentional about combating it. We see this on the domestic scale too.
3: The neighborhood I grew up in in Brooklyn had a lot of neglected uh, energy systems in the buildings. It was the early 80s. I was born in 1981, lived in, in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. Um, and it was a rundown neighborhood.
1: Don Baird, CEO of Block Power spent the last decade helping lower-income communities within the U.S. retrofit their homes with clean energy technology, a lifelong passion that began back when he lived in Bed-Stuy.
3: People didn't have working heating systems inside their buildings. And when it got below freezing, people would, you know, we, we definitely would heat our apartments with our oven, and um, you open up the window to release the, the, the carbon monoxide and nitrogen dioxide, and of course methane, that's produced when, when, any time you cook with gas. Um, certainly when you're heating your whole apartment with it. So, when you think about um, the need for climate justice, environmental justice, and energy equity, um, something, something as simple as who gets to live in healthy housing with, with well-maintained um, energy equipment, That's one part of it. Um, How do we fix that? And then what happens if we don't fix that?
1: Baird is one of very few climate tech founders of color to raise venture capital in this space, and one of a very few that raises capital for communities of color. But his recent raise of almost $8 million could be a signal and a milestone for the attention turning towards solutions. Energy climate issues, as Mutiso referenced, are not all created equally. Layer onto that a significant challenge in how funding sources target certain groups, regions, and people over others, and there are still a few hurdles to overcome in order to see an equitable energy environment. TED Tech is part of the TED Audio Collective. This episode was produced by Isabel Carter, who also wrote it with me, Sherelle Dorsey. Our editor is Jimmy Gutierrez, and the show is fact checked by Danny Brower. Special thanks to Farah DeGrunge for her support as a project manager. I'm Sherelle Dorsey. Let's keep digging into the future. Join me next week for more.
2: You're growing a business, and you can't afford to slow down.
1: Support for the show comes from Brooks Running. I'm so excited because I have been a runner, gosh, my entire adult life. And for as long as I can remember, I have run